The following is part of the teaching ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel in Barrie, Ontario. We believe firmly in proclaiming the Word of God without apology. For more information about our church, visit our website at harvestberry.ca or email us at info at harvestberry.ca. We trust that this message will challenge and transform you. All right, let's, um, let's throw some words up on the screen here, get us started. Um, believer, Christian, Christ follower, child of God, disciple. Now these, I, I think you'd agree with me, are the most common words that we would use to describe ourselves, to describe those in the church who have been saved, who have given their life over to follow Jesus Christ. And each of the words, as you look at them, you kind of go, well, that one kind of heads us in this direction, and this one gives us a slightly different understanding of what it means to be a believer in Jesus Christ. And they all kind of bring something different to the table to help us get this kind of more fully orbed understanding of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And maybe you'd also agree that we often use these terms without really thinking about them, without precisely defining what each of them means, and therefore getting that full understanding of what the Bible says about all of this. And we want to know what it takes to be a true, I hope you want this, what it takes to be a true follower of Jesus Christ, listen now, as the Bible describes it. Not as I think it should be, not as anyone else has told me it should be, not by some default understanding of what that is, but as the Bible describes it. And so that's what we're going after in this message today. What do we mean by the word, the title, the name, disciple? And we're going to break it down into uh, two categories, uh, what a disciple is and what a disciple does what a disciple is and what a disciple does okay what a, i kind of led you there what a, what a disciple is and what a disciple uh, does knowing that you and i and the title of the series is the unstoppable church but you and i will be unstoppable disciples of jesus christ if we lock down what god wants us to be and what god wants us to do and so let's pray together and then we'll start looking at various scriptures that head us in that direction. Uh, Father, we are uh, right now, we don't often think this way, but we're in need of an in intervention in our lives. And I'm certain that we don't realize how influenced we are by the world around us, how influenced we are by our own flesh, and we want, those of us who are praying sincerely right now, Father, we want to have the mind of Christ. And so please intervene right now. Send your Holy Spirit to convince us of these truths, to convict us, Father, to bring the change in our lives that we need. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you agree with that prayer? All right, here it is, uh, how to be an unstoppable disciple of Jesus. First, uh, let's be, be the five G's. Now, uh, this is what a disciple is. We're going to start here, what a disciple is, and this next part of the message is really a preview for the series I'm going to start next weekend called uh, Made for This, the 5G a Christian. Uh, but we're going to get like a little, you know how you watch those movie trailers to find out if you want to watch the movie? So this is a trailer 
about the series, and you're going to decide right now, do I want to come to the series? Is this something that I really want to do? So a little bit on each of the five Gs. Let's start with this one. An unstoppable disciple of Jesus is always growing. Always growing. Uh, Colossians 2, 6, and 7. I think this was one of our theme verses years ago. Uh, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught. Now, if we were to spend a lot of time on this verse, we could determine that the verb tenses that Paul uses in this verse make it clear that this is not a one-time thing that happens in our lives. It's not like, you know, I came to faith in Jesus Christ and I was automatically mature in him, okay? That's not the way it works. Has anybody had that experience in this room? Because you should be preaching. (laughs) Because that's, that's not the norm. What the norm is, is I come to faith in Christ and I'm a baby Christian and then over the course of my life, I become more and more rooted in him. I become more and more built up in him. I become more and more mature in what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. That it is an ongoing, and I'll talk about this again in a few minutes, it's an ongoing walk with Jesus Christ. It's not like I become a follower of Christ and I have arrived. I'm on a journey And so this is an ongoing work. It is a, I'll say this too, it's a cooperative effort between the believer and the Holy Spirit. And so you have to to say, I want to be mature in Christ. I want this. I want to grow in my understanding of who Jesus is and in my faith. I want that and I invite the Holy Spirit into my life to actually do that work. And so it is a cooperative effort because it's the spirit that brings about uh, this growth in our lives. And I would say uh, this finally about the verse that it carries the weight of an imperative for us. In other words, it comes with the force of a command. It's not an option. Growth is not an option. Not for this kind of disciple. Growth is normal. It's expected. It's required of those who claim to follow Jesus Christ. And we often use this uh, phrase in in our fellowship of churches. Uh, We use this phrase, healthy things multiply. And we mean by that in the context of our local churches that we've planted, that um, when a church is healthy, it means that we're growing. A healthy church is always growing, and growing in a couple of different ways. Growing certainly, and most importantly, in the quality of discipleship. The quality of disciples that we have. In other words, in an entire church that's healthy, a majority of the people who are part of that church are becoming more devoted followers of Jesus Christ. They're just going deeper and they're becoming more mature. And so there's a quality of discipleship in that church. And as a result, when you have quality disciples, isn't it true? Then you're gonna have a quantity of disciples, an increasing quantity of disciples. In other words, more people are gonna wanna come and be a part of that. And in a movement like our Harvest Bible Fellowship, healthy things multiply, you have a quality of discipleship, you have a quality of churches, those churches are gonna be expanding to always be planting more churches. That's what we mean by quality of discipleship and quantity of disciples, Um, strong, Disciples produce more disciples. 
is really the principle. And for the individual follower of Christ, we can take all of that and boil it down to our own personal lives and just say this, that a healthy believer is a growing believer. Healthy things multiply, and in your life there will be multiplied maturity, multiplied holiness, multiplied desire to be more and more like Jesus every single day. So growing, that's the first G. Here's the second. Uh, gracious. Gracious. Okay, we're talking here, let me give you some more words. Um, by gracious, I mean our lives are characterized by kindness, by mercy, by forgiveness. And the thing that drives me to be gracious with the people that are in my life, now it's easy to be gracious with some people. True? I hear the nervous laughter rippling through the room because maybe the person that's not easy to be gracious with is sitting beside you, and I get that. It's easy to be gracious with people who are kind to you and loving to you and forgiving toward you. That's, that's the easy part. But we all have, true or false, we all have difficult people in our lives. True? Again, some of you unwilling to say true because the person might be near you. I get it. But we have people at work who are difficult. We have people maybe even in our own families who are difficult. We have neighbors who are difficult extended family, it's Thanksgiving Sunday, you're probably gonna be with them, extended family who are difficult, the weird uncle, the sibling you don't get along with, that kind of person. See, that's when the grace, see, grace implies that the person doesn't deserve the thing that you're giving to them. That's, that's what we mean by gracious, and so you're kind when someone else isn't that kind to you. You're merciful when you're not getting any mercy back. And you're forgiving when people offend you. I said to someone just this past week, because I've had a little thing going with a guy who doesn't live in this town. And I was just like, I, don't, I just don't care to see him right now. I don't care to talk to him. I don't, just don't care. And uh, someone just leaned over to me. And I always hate it. Preachers hate it when you quote back their sermons to them. You know, and he just did a little thing from the Bible about all he did, he just said a couple of numbers. That's all he said to me. He just said, 70 times seven. 70 times seven. Dang, I don't like that. I don't like that. So the thing that drives me to gracious with people who are in my life, both the easy people and the hard people, is that God has been so kind and gracious to me. I mean, he's gone way beyond 70 times seven, you know what I'm saying? With me. So how can I not give that grace back to others? Paul told the believers in Ephesus, Ephesians 4.32, be kind, wow, this verse, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. And I just think about how much conflict and tension in our relationships would be averted if we would just live out this verse. I mean, I, I, Pastor Rogers over here, biblical soul care, he's got a team of people that meet with people all the time. And I just think about, Rogers, it's not true. If people just live out this verse, if, if people would live out this, I think that you'd, we could put you down to part time. <laughs> we save a little money here. Margaret doesn't like that idea. <laughs> I don't want him around the house that much. 
Be kind to one another. Imagine, Roger, be kind to one another, tender-hearted. Is this not the big one, forgiving one another? Could we not reduce the caseload of the biblical soul care team by half if we would just forgive one another? How many marriage conflicts would be averted? How many parent-child situations? How much I just don't get along with anybody wouldn't need to be dealt with? If we would forgive one another as God in Christ forgave you. How many people believe I could say a lot more about gracious? And I will a few weeks from now in the series. So come back. Third G, grateful. All right, it's Thanksgiving weekend. How many people have a turkey in their future? You have a turkey in your future? I thank God for that. Um, Thanksgiving weekend in Canada is a day set apart by an act of parliament in 1879. They said this, parliament, parliament of Canada in Ottawa said this, a day of general thanksgiving to almighty God for the bountiful harvest with which Canada has been blessed. I can just see our Prime Minister saying this today. (laughs) Hashtag sarcasm. (laughs) We Canadians think so much of ourselves today. Humility has escaped our country. We're not willing to be under a great God who provided all of these things that we enjoy. That's just not where we're at anymore. And we ought to be grateful. And that needs to be an ongoing characteristic of our lives. And we totally understand that it's not about a single day that Parliament sets aside for us to say thank you. That should be the outflow of the life of a Christ follower. That we just live our lives in a way that we're grateful for the things that we have. Then back to Colossians 2, 6, and 7. I left a little phrase off of that when we looked at it a few minutes ago. It ends with the believer, notice the last three words, abounding in thanksgiving. This is the norm for a follower of Jesus Christ, an unstoppable disciple of Jesus is a thankful person. And I got to thinking, because we ought to be thankful just because of how awesome God is and all that he's given to us, Amen. We ought to be thankful just for that. But, but listen, but God spins back a benefit to us when we're grateful people. And I got to thinking about all the things that kind of knock us down and give us trouble and cause us anxiety in our lives. All the conflict that we have, I wrote down the top seven attitudes and feelings that are eliminated when we have a grateful heart. Here's seven things that I thought of bitterness. Bitterness doesn't have any room in a person who's thankful for the things they have. Bitterness is something we feel and something that enslaves us when when we don't have something we want. When something gets taken away, when something's not going our way. But when you're grateful, God, I'm so grateful for this. I'm so thankful for this. There's just no room for bitterness. Get it? All right, that's the first one. Agreed. I mean, obviously... If you're just like, God, thank you for this, and thank you for this, and thank you for this, and look at all that I have, then there's just no room to be thinking about the things you don't have, and I'm so greedy, and I want this, and why do they have it, and I don't? Because you're just not focused on the things you don't have, you're focused on the things that you do have. Bitterness, greed, anger, 
I mean, it's hard to be angry when you're thankful. Sadness. There's times to be sad, I get it. But gratitude can often lift us out of that and into a place where joy is filling our hearts. Fear. Worry. Negativity. All these things get chased away if we're truly grateful to God for all that he has done in our lives, all that he's doing, all that he's given us, and all that he is to us. And so put, put gratitude in place of all these things. Uh, be abounding, as Colossians said, in thanksgiving for Jesus, for his good gifts to us, for the, even for the trials that he sends our way that, that we know are producing endurance and increasing our faith. We know the theology behind that. We don't like to be in the trials at the time. We know what happens at the other end of those, on the other side of the trials. Be thankful for the people in our lives for what they do to, uh, to bless us and who they are to us. Again, so much more I could say about that. Number four, generous. Generous. I really like Proverbs 11, 24 and 25. Uh, one gives freely yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched and the one who waters will himself be watered. Uh, the two Proverbs here, and the first one's kind of instructional, telling us what the principle is. The second one adds in a little metaphor there about watering and being watered. These complimentary Proverbs are giving us really an amazing incentive for generosity. Notice, if you give freely, you're going to grow richer. If you withhold, then you're only going to be in want. If you bless, you're going to be enriched. If you water, you're going to be watered. God's giving us an incentive to be generous. He wants us to do this so that blessing will come back on our lives, on those who give willingly and liberally and cheerfully. Now, now I need to ask you, because it's always important at a time like this, one gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Is that a vindication for prosperity gospel preaching? Answer, but you may not know why. See, God gets to choose the kind of blessing we got, and those prosperity preachers, they're all up there. Thank you for tuning in today. We're so glad you tuned into the program. If you will give a donation, what we're calling our seed donation, if you will seed this before the Lord, God will bring out a great blessing in your life. God will reward you. You send $100 right now, God will reward you tenfold for what you've given. Yeah, see, God gets to choose the blessing, Amen. God gets to choose what he puts back on your life and he could give you a financial blessing. That's certainly within the realm of what he can do. But he may not. He may do something more awesome in your life than just material goods. And so we let him do the choosing of how he blesses us. But, but our part, again, is to give willingly, liberally, and cheerfully to always be generous, to give beyond what we think we can even give. And we're gonna go into this campaign next week and there's not gonna be any secrets about this and we're not gonna hold anything back. We have already said the amount of money that we need to raise to do the renovation. There are other financial challenges that'll be in front of us with just the owning of a building. 
And, and we have all of that in front of us and we're gonna need God's people, that's you who are part of this, to not only be generous, but in some cases to be sacrificial about your giving. To do something that you thought was never possible and then to latch on with verses like this and to say, but I know if I give and I give generously and I give sacrificially that God is going to spin back a blessing in my life, something I could have never imagined. God's going to ask some of you to give an amount that you think in this moment right here, you think is impossible. There's no way we could give that amount of money but then you're gonna sense that it's the right thing to do and you're gonna make your pledge and your commitment and you're gonna give it. And I'm telling you right now, if you give freely, you're gonna grow all the richer. If you, if, you, um, if you bless in this way, you will be enriched. If you water, you will be watered abundantly from the Lord. God's gonna do something awesome in you and in this church, I believe. A lack of generosity or stinginess is really incompatible with the life of a genuine follower of Jesus Christ. The unstoppable disciple of Christ finds a way to be generous and exemplifies the generosity that Jesus showed us, that the Father showed us in sending Jesus. Amen? Amen. All right, the final G is glorifying. All we do is for Jesus, or it ought to be, He's the one that we're to exalt. His name is, as Philippians 2.9 says, his name is the name that is above every other name. Amen? His name is the name that is above every other name. Amen? Amen. Amen. Uh, we don't do what we do for ourselves, but for him. Our lives should be the longer we go on, more and more pointing toward him, for him. Our lives are for his glory. 2 Corinthians 3, 18, we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is spirit. One degree of glory to another. I'm, 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 at this point in my life, I'm showing this much glory, but hopefully a month from now, a year from now, I'm showing even more glory, that the degrees of glory that are being displayed in my life and through my life as I mature in Christ, more and more glory being displayed. More and more, my life is not about me, but about him. And I want to say again at the outset of this campaign, there is not a hint in anyone's mind that we are attempting in any way to elevate or raise the name Harvest Bible Chapel over anything. The name is going to be on the building for sure. This is a thing that God is doing right now. We're happy to be a part of it, but the name Harvest Bible Chapel is zero. It's a nothing. When we get to 7 George Street, the whole intent is, listen, the name that we want to raise over that building is Jesus Christ and nothing else. Amen. That's the name we're raising at the center of this city, in the center of this county. The banner that is flying over that building and over this ministry is Jesus Christ and that's it. So we're not trying to exalt the name of this church and we're not trying to exalt the name of any person. Not a single person in this room is gonna take even a little bit of glory for what's gonna happen. Not because you gave a great amount of money toward the campaign or because you made some sacrifice or because you worked hard in any aspect of the campaign and lots of people are working hard on this. But listen, none of us wants any of the glory for ourselves. It's all for him, amen? It's all for him. Every part of this ministry is for the Lord. All right, that's the five G's. You'll get a lot more about that in the coming weeks. That's what a disciple is, and now what a disciple does. 
uh, do, uh, be the five G's, do the three W's. And if you've been around Harvest uh, for any length of time, these should be super, super familiar uh, to you. This is the way that we have defined a discipleship all these years. We're adding the five G's to this now. Uh, with each of these, I want to point out, uh, with each of the three W's now, and we talk about being a vertical church, but every one of the W's has both a vertical emphasis and a horizontal emphasis. I'm going to point out that as we go along here. Um, how do I relate to God vertically? through the three W's. How do I relate to all of you uh, horizontally through each of the three W's? And so, as a vertical church, uh, we, um, we say that we're a vertical church in the sense that our first and greatest priority is God, to glorify God, as we just said, to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We don't seek to have a people-centered ministry. We're not making ministry decisions based on what you think is best, but by what the word of God says the church ought to be. That's what we mean by a vertical church. But then having put our priority there and glorifying him and becoming a vertical church and focusing on all of that, what we discover about our great God as we're worshiping him and learning about him is his heart for you. His heart for those who aren't yet followers of Christ. We uh, see his heart for the church and how you're the family of God. His heart for those who are living on the margins, who are disadvantaged. And we see his heart and then we hear him say, I want you to love your neighbor as yourself. I want you to love one another. And so both vertical and horizontal. Vertical first, but horizontal in turn. And so being an unstoppable disciple of Jesus has to start with the first of the three W's here, worship Christ. Romans 12, uh, first verse says, I appeal, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. He's talking to every believer, Paul here, here and, and the Spirit is saying to every one of us, that when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, I hope you have this understanding, when you came to faith in Jesus Christ, you, you put yourself on the altar as a living sacrifice. The, thi the thing about being a sacrifice and putting yourself on the altar is this, then the fire comes and consumes the entire sacrifice. In other words, there's no part of your life that isn't consumed and taken up with the life of being a Christ follower. That you have sacrificed yourself, the entirety of your life, to him. That's the starting point for our spiritual worship. Your life offered to Jesus as sacrifice, all encompassing, not holding anything back. And so when we talk about worshiping Christ, really three aspects to this part. The first is, I'm saved. You can't worship Christ if you haven't first come to Christ, if you haven't pledged your life uh, to follow him. Have you come to a realization of the gospel that you were separated from God by your sin, that Jesus Christ gave his life on the cross for you, his life for your life, that you've committed your life to him in that way, that you have, as Romans 10, 9, and 10 says, that you have uh, confessed with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Have you done that and committed your life to him? Are you saved? So that's the first part of worship Christ. And then having done that, um, I'm saved. I've been baptized. Now, every time we see baptism in the scriptures, every single time, without exception, what we see is this. A person makes a decision for Jesus Christ and they get baptized. 
I just want to follow the pattern of Scripture. I don't want to complicate it with any other theological systems. And I don't know how many people in the room are struggling with this concept of baptism, but it's just so clear. You make a decision to follow Jesus Christ, and then you testify to that in front of God's people by being baptized. So that's part of worship Christ, is that we're saved, we're baptized, and then we gather with God's people. This is, here's the third little part. I gather with God's people regularly to worship. You can jot down uh, Hebrews 10.25 here that we're not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. That it's important that we gather together for worship week by week. And so have you done and are you doing all three of these? I mean, it's hard to claim that you're a devoted disciple if you have not and are not doing these very basic things, if you've not committed your life to Christ, if you've not been baptized, if you are not regular in your times of worship. And in the sense of the horizontal and vertical here, of course, I, I go vertical when I get things right with God and, and I, I receive the salvation that he offers me. And, and I go horizontal when I testify to that through the waters of baptism. That's really about obeying God, but, but telling everyone else that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And then I go both horizontal and vertical when I gather with God's people. That's the horizontal part to once again go vertical in my worship of God. All of that is essential for those who would be unstoppable disciples of Jesus Christ. Worship Christ, here's the second W, uh, walk with Christ. Ephesians 4, uh, the first three verses here help us out. I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, Paul writing, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. He goes on to describe that with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. So the, the idea here, this metaphor of walk, if some of you are carrying a different translation, you may see there that, that it's been translated, uh, live the life. I urge you to live in a manner worthy of the gospel. And, and that translation's kind of taken out the imagery or the metaphor that's there, which I think that metaphor is helpful. That's the way Paul wrote it. That's how the Holy Spirit inspired it. But it's just so important that we understand that this is a walk. This is a journey. That this is something that's a process throughout the entirety of our lives. I love the idea of walk because it fits so well with the idea of being a follower of Jesus. That I'm, I'm following him. I'm walking with him. He's heading in a certain direction. And I'm going with him in that direction. And I have a bunch of people who are with me. And we're actually going with him together. So the idea of walk to me is real important. That, that we're followers. That we're disciples in the sense that a disciple is a learner. That along the way, as we're walking with him, we're learning and we're growing and we're maturing in being disciples of Jesus Christ. And so the walk idea is really important to me, important to the scriptures. And in, in a vertical sense then, walking with Christ is about our personal spiritual disciplines. It's about, let me just talk about a couple of these that are probably the most basic and most important. I, I would just say, first of all, is the reading and studying of God's word. And I hope that as a follower of Christ, no matter who you are or what your capabilities are, what your reading level is or whatever it is, there, there's just so many different ways that the Bible is available to us now. That you can have it on your smartphone, you can have it read to you if you're not a great reader. I mean, your smartphone will literally read the Bible to you. Your computer will. 
or, or get, out, get, get an analog copy like this. And it's, it works really well. Never need, never need to plug this in. And uh, you can read the word and we should be in the word of God, amen? We should be studying it for ourselves and hearing what God is saying to us. The read and study of God's word and then uh, prayer. Um, do you pray? Do you have a, a dedicated time of prayer? If that's a struggle for you, try journaling in prayer. Do you have an ongoing conversation with the Lord even throughout your day? God, I'm so thankful for this. And God, would you help me with this? And having that ongoing praying without ceasing kind of thing happening in your life. Those spiritual disciplines are so important. Those are probably the two most common. Activities or practices that cultivate and encourage spiritual growth and maturity in our lives. That's the vertical. And then in the horizontal sense, we walk with Christ in this way, that you should be in relationship with other disciples. And this is so important to the way that we do church here. That we are a church of small groups. That this is the way that we are in community with one another. And... And uh, this comes from our essentials curriculum. So if you've taken this class, you maybe have heard this. Small groups are biblical, practical communities where we provide care, promote spiritual growth, and produce leaders. Small groups are the real work of the church to make disciples that make disciples. Now, let me say something about small groups. And a leader years and years ago in our church used to say this, that my job as the lead pastor, the teaching pastor, I would get up here on weekends and, and proclaim the word of God in, in this way. But I'm like, I, I really like World War II history. So I'm thinking D-Day here and the crossing of the English Channel and storming the beaches of Normandy. I got that picture in my mind. But I'm the, I'm the battleship or the heavy cruiser that's out in the English Channel. And, and I'm not gonna see the beaches but I'm lobbing the shells over the invading armies and, and I'm, I'm breaking up all the ground on the beaches. I'm breaking up the pillboxes and the strongholds and the machine gun nests and, and where all the enemies are, I'm breaking up all of that ground. That, that's, like, that's what I'm doing right now. I'm just standing offshore. I don't know what's going on in your lives. I'm, I'm not personally in relationship with most of you in this room and I'm just lobbing shells into the crowd. I'm just lobbing the truth of God's word, trying to break up the ground in all of your hearts so that you would hear the word of God and respond to it. But here's, here's the thing. What are the small groups? Those are those landing crafts. And they're coming up on the beach and those doors are opening and they're taking the ground. They're going hand-to-hand -hand combat and they're face-to-face -face with these things in our lives. That's what the small groups are. But you're face-to-face -face with one another and you're working through these truths with each other and you're praying for one another and you're caring for one another. And so we need both of these things to accomplish the full work that God is doing in all of our lives. And so I talked to Pastor Dwayne about this and he added this to what we think about small groups. Small groups are the people committed to helping keep each other worshiping, walking, and working. People holding each other to account for all of these things. For the Lord... Um, worshiping, walking, and working for the Lord through all of life's up and down, ups and downs. He says discipleship is a relational process. And then he adds this, I love this. No one gets holy on his or her own. Right? Write that down. Tweet that. Pastor Dwayne Francois. No one, no one gets holy on his or her own. So we need this uncommon community that we have to be the people that he wants us to be. Can I get an amen after all that? Amen. Right, all right. Finally, work for Christ. 
Here's the last one. And this is the one I think we would say is most obviously horizontal. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 to 7 says this. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities. That's describing the ministry that we have right now. But it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Okay, to each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. And then he provides after this, we're not gonna go into it, but a sample list, not an exhaustive list, but a sample list of different talents or gifts or manifestations of the Spirit in the church. How different people serve each other and serve the Lord with the various talents and gifts that they have. And, and so really, every aspect of the ministry today is about the manifestation of the Spirit through that ministry. You can think about what I'm doing right now. Uh, I believe that God has given to me the gift of preaching, and so that's what I'm doing. But I can do it in my own energy. I can do it simply as my own talent. That it is possible just to get up here and use the art of persuasion and to cleverly convince you of all of these things. Uh, but listen, when the Spirit of God is manifest or shows up in the preaching, see, if I do it the other way, then all that really happens is an academic exercise and we all go away feeling like we learned something new or we were entertained for 40 minutes and, and we just walk away and that's the extent of it. But listen, when this happens, when the, when the Spirit manifests himself or shows up in the preaching, that's when you're going, aha, something in my life needs to change. Now, I can't make that happen. No pastor can make that happen. But that happens because the spirit is manifest in it. Same thing with the worship. It's not about Jordan. He's a talented musician. All the people that were up here, talented musicians. And we could listen to those songs and just be entertained and we call that a concert. But this is not a concert. This is in the engagement of God's people. This is, this is seven worshipers leading hundreds of worshipers to the throne of God. And that happens because the Holy Spirit manifests himself in the playing of guitars and drums and keyboards and in vocalists. Now listen, I could take that through every single ministry that's happening here. Please don't think it's just about the front people. But the Holy Spirit manifests in the way you greeted people this morning if you were standing at a door. The Holy Spirit manifested in the way that you ushered them to their seats. Please don't think that that's some menial task that doesn't count for anything. We want the Holy Spirit to be manifest in every single ministry, in every act of service that happens. From the time you see the person waving to you in the parking lot to the last chair that's stacked at one o'clock this afternoon, it's the Holy Spirit being manifest in the midst of the church and in the service that you're employing. And so look at the verse with me for a few minutes. Who is it that works for Christ? We're just gonna study the Bible out. Who works for Christ? The text tells us, you're looking at the verse, who works for Christ? Each of us do. Nobody's exempt for this. You have a talent, you have a gift, you have a passion to serve, you ought to serve. You ought to use it. What are they supposed to be doing? The verse tells us, notice here, service to one another. The place in which we do service, we're certainly supposed to be reaching out beyond and serving those on the margins and impacting our community, but the primary place that we serve, right here, right here, we serve one another in the body of Christ. And so that's the, that's the who, that's the what, where are they to do it? Again, you'd have to go down to verses 12 and 13 to see that it's in the body of Christ. I've already said that. Why, 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 why would we do this? 
Notice at the very end, for the common good, because we all need this. And how do you work for Christ? I've talked about that already. That's the manifestation of the Spirit. That's the vertical part about what's happening here, the Spirit of God using the gifts and talents that God has given to you for the good of the people. And so I would just ask you, are you serving in an area of passion? Are you bringing your best? Are you using the talents that God is giving to you? Are you letting the Spirit of God manifest himself through you in what you do in serving others for the common good? Is that happening for you? If it isn't, Maybe that's the place you need to start today. I want to say to you, this this weekend has been special. The last week has been special in the sense that um, we haven't done a lot of funerals here at Harvest in the last 15 years, not for members of our church. Very, very, very few. Six or seven, I think, in 15 years as part of being a young church. But in the last week, last Saturday, one of our devoted members, a follower of Jesus, Rick Burgess, went to be with Jesus. We had a memorial service for him here last night. And um, I I just want to talk about Rick for a few minutes because um, he was doing the three W's. He was doing the three W's. He had all of this going on. He, He worshiped Christ. He came to Christ actually later in life, 2007. Sheila came first, Uh, she came to faith in Christ, started coming to harvest, Rick was a skeptic and not really buying this whole deal and wondering if his wife had joined a cult and all of that, but he started to come and started to interact with people and he saw the change in Sheila's life and he became a follower of Jesus Christ. Listen, and God used that because soon after Devin was a Christ follower and then uh, not too long ago, Stephanie has come to Christ, their two kids and their grandkids are here and God is blessing and a household coming to faith in Christ. Awesome, correct? Awesome, awesome. But Rick worshiped Christ. He gave his life to Christ. He was baptized in 2008 right here in this room. He became a member in early 2010. He worshiped Christ. He was a regular here. In fact, I mean, I'm just gonna, this morning it didn't happen. He was always, where was he on Sunday mornings at nine o'clock? He was always like leaning against that back wall. I was fifth pump fist pump him on the way by. It's not going to happen anymore. He worshiped Christ. He walked with Christ. He was involved. Terry um, uh, Codling led a small group that Rick was in. He was the only guy who tracked with Terry all that time. Nine years in small groups together studying the word of God. He was faithful to his small group. 6.30, once a week, 6.30 in the morning studying the word of God. He walked with Christ And he worked for Christ. He was the head of our counting team. He was a finance guy. He oversaw the counting of all of the offerings on weekends, every weekend. He didn't have to be here every weekend. He had counting captains and the teams were taking. He was here every weekend setting it up. Who will stand in the gap? Who will rise up to take Rick's place? Who will work for Christ as he worked for Christ? He was an example of a man who lived the three W's. And you know, if we get enough of that kind of disciple, this will be an unstoppable church that will do things that seem impossible to us right now for his glory. Do you believe that, church? Amen. Thanks so much for listening. We always love hearing about the work God's doing in our listeners. If God's been doing a work in you, send us an email at info at harvestberry.ca. And remember, you are loved.